Evan Shirley is filmed before a studio audience. Welcome, baseball fans, to episode 16 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog produced by fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball podcasts. This week, I am excited to be joined by two members of the Banished to the Pen family, Ross Buckowitz and George Kimmett. Hope I got those names right, guys. Guys, say hello to the internet. Hello, Hi, guys. Uh, did I get that right, Ross? Ah, close enough. Oh, I really tried. I'm sorry, Ross. No, it's all right. No, nobody can say it. All right. Well, first of all, let's start with Ross, since I didn't get your name right, uh, and introduce yourself to the audience this week. Uh, first of all, how to properly pronounce your last name so uh, I can hopefully get it in my brain. Uh, your Twitter handle, day job, how you became a fan of Effectively Wild, and the most important question, Team Ben or Team Sam. Ross? All right. I'm Ross Buckowitz, which it was pretty close. It's just kind of a tempo and emphasis thing, I think, was what you're lacking, which but it takes some getting used to. Um, I live in Milwaukee, which naturally, since I'm a Brewers fan, I actually grew up in Green Bay, and my first favorite team was the Seattle Mariners back when I was six, seven years old, because they had Ken Griffey Jr., and let's face it, Ken Griffey Jr. was the coolest. True. Very true. But then, um, I don't know, I think I was about eight or ten when my local Time Warner affiliate finally picked up Fox Sports Wisconsin, and that's what channel the Brewers are broadcast on, and I finally put two and two together that, hey, Milwaukee, that's that uh, big dot at the bottom of Wisconsin on those maps, so then I became a Brewers fan. Um, I actually became an effectively wild fan in 2013. I had just, I had gotten a smartphone finally, um, I think the fall beforehand and I was kind of looking for some podcasts and it was during the team preview series that, uh, Tom Hardjacourt, the beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was their guest. And, um, so I started listening to it and I really liked Ben and Sam. So then I went back and excuse me, started from the uh, rest of the 2013 previews, and I've been listening every day since, and it's actually kind of ironic because I don't even follow or really read much of Tom Hardcourt anymore because I don't really like his uh, style, especially on Twitter. Um, but then I guess Team Ben, Team Sam, I guess I'd have to go Team Sam because of uh, <clears throat> it kind of seems like more of a chore for Sam, whereas without... Sam, I think Ben would still find somebody to have a podcast with, but without Ben, I think Sam would have given up a long time ago. So, you know, kind of moral support for him, and then I loved when he did the uh, Ben Isn't Here song, and I think that should have won the um, Wild Four tournament that we had on the site a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, people yeah. love them some Web Albers. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I thought that song did not get enough love in the voting, like you say. That was a great song and a great call. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, George, you're up. Same questions. Uh, you know, Twitter handle, day job, who you're a fan of, uh, how you became a fan of Effectively Wild, Team Ben, Team Sam, all the good stuff. Sure, thanks, Ryan. Uh, this is George Kimmett, and I am speaking to you from Billings, Montana, uh, in, in southern Montana, where my night job, I suppose, at least for three months of the year, is um, serving as the official score for the Pioneer League Billings Mustangs. Um, 
I'm an attorney during the day, but uh, I certainly prefer my night job. But unfortunately, that's not enough to uh, to carry my wife and me. Uh, I'm married. Uh, been married for a couple of years. Um, have a dog and what Sam would call a bomb ass cat. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and that's about it. Uh, I'm a Reds fan mainly because of the affiliation with the uh, the Billings Mustangs here in Billings. And I started uh, rooting uh, for the Reds and the Mustangs back in 1997 when I would listen to their games on the radio uh, back on my on my family's ranch growing up. So I've been following them for, for a very long time. I started working for them, the Mustangs, when I was actually in high school and through college starting in 2000. So I've, uh, I've seen a lot of players come through and, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch them grow and, and grow up and, uh, and pursue their careers. And, and some of them have gone on to have very successful uh, major league careers. Uh, who are some guys that have come through? Sure. Some of the, the, the most prominent one right now is Joey Votto. Uh, I remember he played for the, the Mustangs club back in 2003 as a 19-year-old. Um, and he was, and I, I would, I would love to be able to say, you know, I could tell even then he was going to be a major leaguer, but you see a lot of players and, and it's, it's really tough to tell. And there's a lot of difference between being 19 years old and 25 years old and, and a lot can happen. But, um, he did, uh, he, he, he was a good player, uh, even, even as a 19 year old and he was always very focused and, um, you know, Looking back, it's it's kind of uh, one thing that I really liked. It I got to know some of those players, and and it's it's amazing how uh, real humble and and what good guys a lot of them are, and most of them are. Uh, so he he was the most prominent. Uh, Drew Stubbs came through in two thousand six, uh, and has gone to have a uh, a good professional career, if not you know a, a, an entirely. Uh, set the world on fire major league career so he's a very good professional baseball player um so so those are the two off the top of my head uh that i that uh, i particularly remember um uh, from from the time i spent uh in the clubhouse working with the mustangs and uh how did you become a fan of effectively wild and once again team ben team sam Oh sure, you know that that's a real tough tough thing to do to pick to pick a side uh, because they they really complement each other so well. But um, you know it's funny um, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that Ryan team one. I'm uh, I sent Sam Miller an email after one of the episodes. I think they were talking about uh, they were talking about Dan Duquette and uh, whether or not he was going to go to Toronto. And they were talking about covenants not to, to compete. And I sent him a little blurb about at least Montana law on covenants not to compete. And he responded very enthusiastically and he was very happy to hear it. So I think that was kind of cool. And it was it's almost cooler for me to get an email from Sam Miller than it would be, say, Joey Votto, just because at this point in my life, Sam Miller is almost a bigger celebrity because um, I, uh, you know, I listen to him every morning. So I, I'm just going to have to go out. If I have to pick one, I'll say Sam. But uh, obviously, they're both they're both very entertaining. I I view them as kind of like the cool kids in the lunchroom, and I'm just kind of like the the new kid at school. And they invite me every morning to sit down and and just listen to them. I think I think it's pretty cool. So that that's kind of my uh, relationship with with the podcast. And I, I started listening about a year ago, and it's a similar story to to what Ross related and. 
just kind of uh, looking for uh, some content and I stumbled upon uh, the baseball prospectus effectively wild uh, podcast and have been listening ever since. Although I am about 12 episodes behind right now. Yeah, it's tough to keep up every day, but I do my best. Like you say, it's maybe I'm a couple behind, but, uh, you know, it's a dedication and it's a great show. So, okay, uh, Ross, I'm going to call you in from the bullpen. Uh, George, I'm going to banish you to the pen, as the uh, <laughs> phrase goes. And, uh, Ross, I want to pick your brain a little bit, Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, we've been doing a lot of team previews. Obviously, we're a week into the season now, so I'm not sure we're going to do a preview, so to speak. But uh, I do want to talk Brewers because I, uh, I have some questions. You know, I'm, I don't know, a couple thousand miles away here in D.C., and uh, they seem like an interesting team to me. For, la- for, I don't know, five months of the season last year, you could argue maybe they were the best team in the National League or – Certainly one of the best anyways, and uh, yet it didn't really work out for them, and now they've started out a little slowly this year. Uh, maybe just start with giving you the floor with uh, kind of what you're seeing from the Brewers right now and, and kind of what you're seeing from them this year. Well, yeah, I think a big reason for that slow start that you had mentioned is that the top of the order, you know, Gomez setting the table, Lucroy kind of setting the table, a two-spot, and then... Um, Brawny and the three-hole have struggled all up until yesterday's game in St. Louis, but they hadn't uh, had the best start to the year where I think it's Lucroy's down. I've had. Um, yeah, Lucroy hadn't um, started out a little tough, and so did um, Gomez. He finally broke out with a couple doubles, but, you know, the bottom of the order is kind of contributing right now, but those top three guys, your three all-stars haven't, uh, have struggled a little bit. And because of that, they haven't been able to score very many runs. And then with pitching has, hasn't been great so far, you know, you're not scoring runs, you're giving up a lot of runs, not going to win very many games. Yeah, that's a great call. And obviously, you know, it's kind of, it, we're seven games in. So obviously, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, but what, what are you seeing as the strengths and weaknesses of the Brewers this year? I definitely see, the offense, once uh, we get Gomez, Lucroy, and Brian, Braun going on, it's definitely going to be the strength of the team. The fielding, eh, it's not great. You know, you got Adam Lynn playing first base, and he's really more of a DH. And Scooter Jeanette, despite being a bit of a grinder, who, you know, that type normally being good defensively, he's not uh, the greatest. Um, Ramirez is 38, something like that. And then I know Chris Davis had a. Uh, a positive UZR somehow last year, but I'm going to attribute that to the fact that teams will kind of put anybody out in left field more so than uh, his own ability. So apart from Lucroy Gomez and Segura, the, the team is very much not great at defense, although it's not so much guys playing out of position as, you know, it's their position. They're just not very good at it. And then the pitching staff, there's definitely no frontline starter, and I think... If you kind of look at it backwards, and I know this is something I uh, um, heard from Adam McKelvey at the BP event last year that's a favorite of Doug Melvin. If you look at the pitching staff one through five, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, you're comparing that, you know, Kyle Loesch, Matt Garza, whoever your one, two starters are, to, you know, um, Kershaw and Granke out in LA, Wainwright, and, you know, pick one from St. Louis. And oh, it doesn't look so good, but. If, if you flip it from the bottom up and you start looking at, you know, 
Jimmy Nelson as a five starter, Mike Fires as a four starter. All of a sudden, that team's starting. You know, it's looking a little bit better if you kind of go inverted, but that's great for you know they got decent depth within the starting rotation, but you, know, you don't got that stopper to come out and when there's a three four game losing streak to come out and give you seven eight strong innings. You know, once every fifth day, then it's tough to uh, compete and be more than a five hundred team. But. And Ross, talk to me about two of the guys. Talk to me about Jimmy Nelson and Willie Peralta, because I seem to find them, uh, have them in every fantasy league of mine. I, I seem to be the high man on them, because I don't know, Peralta had 17 wins last year, and Nelson seems like a very solid pitcher. I, am I missing something? What am I missing? Well, I think, especially with Peralta, you're, re- you're looking at a guy, he's got, you know, the, I think last year he finished fourth in terms of average fastball velocity among starting pitchers at He's a big, strong guy. I think he's six foot six. Well, he's listed at six one, two forty five right now. Um, uh, that I'm seeing, and he's a, looks like a guy with that fastball. He should be able to strike a lot of guys out. You know, that power sinker should when he's not striking guys out. Um, get the ball driven into the ground, and he only has one part of that. He did. He has had a uh, ground ball rate over fifty percent in his uh, few seasons in the big leagues, and he did. Um, come fairly close to finish just short, just shy of 200 innings last year, but he tends to not have the greatest command, so that drives up his pitch count. So even though he's this big workhorse um, starter body type, he hasn't been able to rack up those inning counts. And then, for whatever reason, he just can't miss bats. And I think part of that comes from the Brewers team philosophy of the um, kind of straight over the top with a lot of spine tilt where the command isn't always there because it's tough to repeat that um, motion um, over and over. And then I think there's also that kind of leads to a few more walks than you'd want, although he was able to cut back on that um, uh, during 2014 from his rookie year in 2013. So that's an encouraging sign. But And then I think he kind of, with that, since it's a power sinker instead of a four-seamer that he tends to throw, he tries to stay down in the zone a little bit more. And while, well, like I said before, that's led to very good walk for, uh, ground ball rate um, so far. It's a little bit easier to catch up at 96 at the thigh than it is 96 at the letter. So I think that's kind of where his um, uh, lack of success getting guys to swing and miss has been from. And then Jimmy Nelson is kind of oh, – Well, Ross, I was actually going to follow up on that. Um, this is George, and – you, you mentioned uh, this is something that I was hoping you'd talk about. Um, you alluded to kind of the writing of Doug Thorburn, I think, where, where he has talked a lot about um, the the spine tilt for a lot of these Brewers starters. And is that something that's that's noticeable as, as you watch the Brewers every night? Just the, the that emphasis on fastballs, sinking fastballs uh, low in the zone. Um, we're, you know, we're – Gallardo early in, early in his career was kind of a high fastball yeah. four-seam pitcher. Is, is that something that's noticeable? And, and what, are, what are your thoughts on, on that philosophy and how it's been able to, to work as it, as it applies to the whole staff? Yeah, that is definitely um, – you're right when you mentioned uh, Doug Thorburn there. He's kind of the guy that keyed me in on it. And even though you know I saw it and knew about it, I didn't really, didn't really click all that well. That um, It's something that they preach from – top down and it's it stems from the fact that uh 
from what I've heard reading Will Carroll and some other people who are kind of uh, focused more on the injury side, it's something the Brewers believe will relieve the stress on the elbow and help keep pitchers from going on the table and getting Tommy John and losing the year. And then, you know, who knows how that's going to, how they're going to be able to bounce back from that with that surgery since it's a pretty extensive rehab. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the thing. I know Gallardo, like you were saying, when he came up in the bigs, he was throwing 95, 96, um, touching it at least. And then he would usually sit in the 93 to 94 range. By uh, last season, his fastball had lost two or three ticks off of it, and he was down in the 91 range on the uh, where he was sitting, and then he could maybe touch 92, 93 a few times. I think it's, a lot of it had to do with you don't really get um, as much behind the ball when you're going that straight over the top as when you do a little bit more of the three quarters. And I know this is a bit of a, um, a uh, controversial thing but the uh if you use the inverted w kind of motion which you know there are a lot of people that don't really believe in it and don't think it affects anything but um i have a friend who's an athletic trainer at uh, fresno state actually and he kind of explained it to me and there's the reason that the inverted w has been so popular is that when you kind of fling your arm like that it, it you can get another two or three miles an hour out of your arm what you would with a more traditional kind of over-the-top pitching motion, more like what the Brewers kind of preach, but it does put a lot more pressure on the elbow. Um, so I think that's kind of where the, that over-the-top kind of spine tilt thing came from and then is relieving that pressure that you see and, you know, you'll sacrifice a couple miles an hour off fastball, which is where I know, um, I think it was Eno Saris of Fangraphs or maybe August Fagerstrom, um, Somebody at Fangraphs actually had a big thing with um, a member of the Brewers front office that they emphasize pounding the zone. And I think pounding down in the zone, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, you're not getting that mid-90s heat where you can blow guys away up in the zone. Then you got to live down in the zone and try and get ground balls, which, you know, that'd be a great strategy if only the Brewers didn't have kind of a porous infield defense. And, yeah, I know the Brewers have gone... I can't, I can honestly, I can't even remember the last pitcher at the major league level who's needed Tommy John surgery. Um, the last guy, I know old Johnny Helwig had it last year in the minors, but he, you know, coming from the Angels, he had only been in the system for about a year. And then Willie Peralta actually had one when he was like 17 or 18, way down in the low, low minors before. I, he might not have even played in the uh, U.S. by the time he needed it. But yeah, it's something that the Brewers think will keep guys on the field and, you know, maybe sacrifice a few miles an hour to stay healthy. Oh, the other thing I kind of almost forgot, the misses when they go straight over the top tend to be up and down instead of left and right. And I think as we know, um, a lot of the research on catcher framing the last few years um, has been that the a ball lower in the zone is something you can kind of almost – pull back up into the zone much easier than you can side to side or pull one down. And Jonathan Lucroy and Martin Maldonado are two of the best pitch framers in the entire league. And, you know, if you can get a guy to miss low when he misses, you know, you're emphasizing low and then when he misses, he misses even lower, but you've got two guys that can kind of pull some pitches back up into the strike zone and 
get a few extra strikes for your pitchers, that's definitely something I can see why the Brewers would lean that way, even if it, you know, you have to sacrifice in some other areas. Yeah, those are some interesting points, and uh, definitely things that you don't notice when you're, you know, not watching that team every day. Uh, George, do you have any more questions for Ross? Well, I, I, I guess my only follow-up to that would be uh, it's one piece that, that you mentioned was, was the infield defense. And I'm just wondering if, um, you know, if that's a, a concern for the Brewers, uh, if, if they think a better defensive infield and a more emphas- a further emphasis on the defense of their infield would, would help complement that pitching staff uh, more going forward, if that's going to be kind of their, their organizational philosophy. Well, I think, so, you know, Doug Melvin has some issues where he, you know, he tends to focus more on the major league club and trying to be better now than the future. But the one thing I can say for him is that when it comes to major league level talent acquisition, at least he just worries about uh, best player available, kind of not trying to fit into the need. So even though a guy like Aramis Ramirez, who might not be the best uh, fielding third baseman in the world anymore, although I feel like even though he's, you know, spent 36, 37, 38, or 35, 36, 37, something like that with the Brewers, he's been a better fielder than he was in his days with the Pirates and Cubs when he was younger, so I don't know if there's Brewers are on to something there, if that's a positioning thing or what now, but and what's the what's what's the uh, what's the feeling in Milwaukee with the big Aramis Ramirez uh, retirement tour? Is he is he kind of a fan favorite there? Or are they going to have kind of a Derek Jeter esque send off? <laughs> uh, I don't definitely not. Just more so because um, he just hasn't spent all that much time with the club, and then especially coming from the Pirates and Cubs, you know, two of the two division teams, and especially the Cubs are kind of the the big rival and big hated team around here being just hour and a half maybe down the freeway south of us so he's definitely well liked and I think the more nuanced fan of, I th- well I should say he's got two things going for him the more nuanced fan appreciates him because even though he's you know he's kind of defying age curves a little bit being able to still put up some offensive numbers and have some good uh um production recently and then the more traditional fan uh kind of likes the fact that he's a bit lower on terms of his strikeout rate and uh you know doesn't necessarily need to sacrifice contact to be able to put a charge into the ball and um feast on some doubles and take advantage of the fact that he can hit some home runs in miller park so he is definitely well appreciated it's just when you've only had a guy for four years you can't develop that same love for him that you do a guy like um like Jeter did with the Yankees, or I think going back when um, Robin Yant retired, the, the city and fan base kind of gave him the, uh, a, not the same treatment, but definitely a similar one to what Jeter got, just not to that level because, um, you know, Jeter is more iconic because of all the playoff moments. But, yeah, he's, you know, and it, it definitely, it doesn't hurt Ramirez's case that the Brewers ain't got much in uh, in the minors that, third base to come up and replace them next year when he's gone so yeah uh well ross i could pick your brain about the you know the brewers and i have a ton more questions but just for time i'm gonna cut it here a couple questions before we wrap it uh win prediction for the season and give me a bold prediction for the uh, season as well 
Uh, win prediction. I think in my uh, piece, I said 81 and 81, so exactly 500. And now that we're, you know, a couple weeks in, and I still think they are a 500 true talent team, but, you know, when they're started one and five, now back up two and five, probably got to do lop a win or two off of that if you kind of assume they'll be right around 500. So I, I'm, I'll say 79, maybe 80 wins now. But right, you know, right around 500 for most of the year, and then stay on the periphery of the wild card chases before kind of fading away at the end as those teams that are a little bit more talented can kind of pull away and get into that uh, 86, 87 win range that will probably take to get the second wild card. And then a bold prediction: I'm actually going to stick with Jimmy Nelson, um, who you had asked about him. I didn't have time to touch on him. I think Jimmy Nelson is going to turn out to be if not the Brewers' best pitcher, starting pitcher this year, um, definitely top two, which he's added a uh, <clears throat> a curveball this year, which he had never thrown before, which was one of the big question marks on him was he was kind of just fastball slider. And, you know, if you're just fastball slider, lefties are going to be able to feast on you as a righty. And his, uh, it's not quite 12 to 6, it's maybe 11 to 5 on the uh, curveball, but it's a weapon he can use against lefties. And I think you'll definitely see him... Uh, have a lot of success this year. Um, now that he's got a legitimate third pitch, if you can, um, I mean, it's only been one start, but it definitely looked good um, the other night. So uh, that'll be my uh, bold prediction that Jimmy Nelson will be the Brewers' best starting pitcher. Yeah, Jimmy's been my sleeper pick for NL Rookie of the Year. So I'm glad to hear somebody else is kind of on board with the same idea. So uh, I don't know if he's actually rookie eligible. I think he might have gotten caught on. Uh, um, service time and not the innings pitched but let me pull up this baseball reference page here for a second yeah he did exceed last year just on the um the 45 days of service time requirement so he's can't qualify for that even though he was actually oh he was over 15 innings pitched too so yeah he lost his rookie status but if you know if he could be a rookie still that'd definitely be something you'd see him compete for even though he's not the I think everybody wants it to be Chris Bryant just with this whole controversy of him getting sent down but yeah all right well uh I think we did a pretty good job of covering the Brewers I think we made some good points so uh Ross I'm gonna banish you to the pen George tagging you in bud excellent all right uh George I don't know where to begin but I am fascinated with the idea of what an official scorer is and does. I, I think for the most part, I mean, I try to think of myself as a smart fan, but all I know is if an official scorer is when there's a controversial play, I look up to see if it's a hit or an error. So uh, give me a little better job description of what you really do than the, perhaps what I just described. Sure, sure. The official score, there's actually a, a section in the Major League Baseball rulebook devoted to the position of the official score. And essentially, the each each home club is responsible for appointing the official score to preside over the game and not only make judgment calls as to whether a given ball in play should be scored a hit or an error, for instance, uh, but also to keep a record of all the statistics accumulated in that game and report those statistics to the league office. So in, in minor league baseball, um, every half inning, uh, I, 
um, I not only record the the play by play data, I I uh, am responsible for transmitting that da data to um, to minor league or major league baseball advanced media's headquarters in in Manhattan in Chelsea. So that's actually it's it's kind of primitive and it's it's been this way ever since 2005 was actually the first summer I I served as the official scorer. So a lot of that times a lot of times that's a cell phone call in between uh, half innings wherein I'll say something like O'Grady oh, you know grounded to second Kevin Franklin singled to left and then there was a ground ball double play 6-4-3. So I'm doing that every half inning with with a, a with a number of minor league statistics stringers there in New York. Um, and they do that for every game in affiliated baseball up you know, from AAA down through the complex leagues in, in the Gulf Coast League and the Arizona League. And then after the game, uh, all of that data is, is kind of cross-checked. My computer program will double-check my box score to this box score that uh, is posted on minor league baseball's website, you know, which is which comes directly from minor league or major league baseball advanced media, and uh, then of course resolve any kind of uh, differences of opinion as to a judgment call, and that's normally done through. I don't have any direct contact with the managers of the teams themselves, but through the Billings Mustangs business office, the, if if there's any questions by the managers they bring those issues to the the office and then I talk with the with the GM and uh, I rethink some of it and uh, and if necessary uh, change uh, change the call after hearing a different side of the story uh and I want to take a half step back that was terrific but you said you started kind of as an intern with Billings did you did you always want to be an official scorer or how did you end up being the official scorer if that's maybe I'm asking the right question oh no no that's and that's a really good question I first learned to score a baseball I and it started in Little League and I was one of the poorer players on the team so I, I wore relate. number nine I, I batted number nine and I played right field which is the ninth position uh, on the you know for the for the designated defensive numbering system so I learned to score baseball games when I was in Little League and I always enjoyed it so, um, and I would follow along with the Mustangs even before I started working there, scoring games along with the radio. But when I first started working there, I was kind of a, I was 16 in, in 2000, and I did a little bit of everything. Um, and the first summer I was actually the official score was not until 2005. Um, and that was the summer I was, I was studying for the uh, law school admissions test. And then uh, I worked outside of, I worked on the East Coast for a a little while, and then when I came back, um, I had a good working relationship with the GM, and um, he knew that I knew the software back from my time when I was working in 2005, and he knew that I would be reliable and able to come to every game. So he said, um, "You know, the guy that we had been using as the official scorer is going to go to work for us full time," and he viewed that as a conflict of interest because you don't want you want somebody who has some independent judgment. So he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I asked my wife if I could do it because that's a lot of nights away from from home and <laughs> or coming in, you know, at ten ten thirty at night when she's already gone to bed. And she said, "Great, um, do it." So last summer was my first summer back doing it since two thousand five. And that, and that's it. 
I came into it just because of my relationship with the ball club and and uh, in particular with the GM who made all the made the hiring decision. So if I'm understanding you correctly, if you're calling New York every half inning, it, it, are you basically on the phone in between innings the whole like the whole game? It's just you're scoring and then you're on the phone, scoring and then you're on the. Phone. There's no break. If I'm under, I mean, does it ever yeah, overlap? You know, and, it goes pretty quick. And and sometimes, you know, usually you can um, the a phone call can go quickly because I mean they hear scores call in. Um, you know, some of them might be working three games at a time. And you get to be pretty quick with with the description of what happened. Um, so, uh, but but it is it's it's not a ton of time to relax. Luckily, you know it's funny when you're you're scoring the game. There is some downtime. I mean, for instance, the pitching coach will come out and and talk to the pitcher. The catcher will go over the signs with the pitcher with a runner at second. So there is some kind of built-in downtime. So it's not like scrambling all the time. But you know it it. It requires a certain amount of focus for three hours at a time, where is when I'm sitting at home watching the Reds on MLB.tv, you know, my attention can drift a little bit. Now, what are your responsibilities post-game? Now, uh, okay, end of the game, you know, third out, uh, what is it now? It's, I don't know, 10 o'clock, whatever you call it. You know, what do you have to do post-game? Sure, sure. Pre and post-game, I'll address both, I Actually, guess. Actually, yeah, pre Ryan. as well. Uh, post-game, I, I can, um, I'll, uh, I'll call in the last half inning to to New York we will uh, kind of cross check the double check our work by stating each pitcher and the pitch for both clubs um, at times the score makes a judgment call as to who the winning pitcher is if if the winning club starting pitcher did not go five innings and the the winning clubs uh, held the lead for the whole game the score has discretion to declare the win to the relief pitcher he deems most effective. So in that case, I'll um, state which pitcher should be the winning pitcher for the winning club. Uh, and then after that, uh, I shut down my computer and put it under the uh, the uh, counter in the press box and uh, head home. So wrap-up actually goes very quick. Uh, pre-game, I can get get to the park any as, as late as half hour before first pitch and uh, just get the lineups into the computer and call New York with the starting lineups for, for each team. Uh, and uh, then I usually take a, a lap around, around the concourse uh, and watch the starting pitchers warm up in the bullpen, and then I'm in the booth and, and ready to go. And, and you, you mentioned, what is the toughest decision or the toughest judgment call you have to make? Is it the deciding a win at the at that level where you may not see guys going five innings all the time or is it hit or an error or kind of what is the toughest part of your job you know the the, the judgment calls are tough the hit in the air can be very tricky there was a there's and there's always weird things that happen in baseball that one that's jumping out in my mind was um the the sun sets uh on the third base side in our stadium and uh there's about three innings where it's it's just brutal on the first baseman and it was a routine ground ball to the third baseman and it was a good throw to first but he the, the first baseman essentially ducked and it would have hit him in the chest had he not gotten out of the way um, so that's that's a tough call because um, normally on a missed catch error as that could have been uh, the fielder in this case the third baseman is credited with an assist uh, and an error is charged to the first baseman. 
Um, and I eventually ruled it an error based on that reasoning, even though it's a, it's a very tough error. Um, but my thought was, look, it was a routine ground ball. The, the third baseman should be charged with and his kind of the primitive defensive metrics of assists, errors, and putouts. The, the third baseman should be charged or credited with an assist on that play. So, so those are the, those are the tough, tough ones. And then the other, the other tough situation is calculating whether an earned run should, or whether a given run scored is earned or unearned. And that involves going through and, and playing the inning as if no error had occurred. Um, so if there is an error, the easiest example of that is if there is an error occurred that would have been the third out of an inning, every subsequent run is, is unearned, even if an error leads to a man on first and then there's the pitcher walks, the base is loaded, and it gives up a grand slam. None of those runs are earned. Uh, but that can get tricky if you know you're determining whether let's say that on a ground ball to the outfield, if a runner would have scored from uh, second base, but for a fielding error on the charging right fielder, for instance, uh, you know, maybe he scored anyway, would have scored anyway. Uh, so that's, that, that involves a certain amount of, of, of judgment. Uh, and from what I understand, it's at least in the kind of the statistically inclined community, that's one of the criticisms of traditional baseball or traditional statistics is, uh, is that a lot of it is up to the scorer's discretion, and, and that can vary from park to park and team to team. Yeah, that that's a natural you know fallacy or a natural problem or a flaw in the uh, in the data. Uh, Ross, I want to jump you in here and just see if you have any questions for George because uh, I don't know. I, I know there are a lot of places we could go here. Well, yeah, I think first I um, I pulled your story about on the site and I know I had read it when it first came out but I want a little fresher and I just want to say this it's perfect that the play you described as the craziest from last year came against the Helena Brewers being <laughs> <laughs> my favorite team's farm club and I just want to say that definitely sounds like something out of a little league game where the center fielder ends up covering second base to get a uh, um, a put out there or not a put out but the tag out there and was that is that the craziest you've ever seen? You haven't you know you haven't seen Gene Segura stealing first base or anything like that. <laughs> no, that that Gene Segura play that you're referencing, where he, that was the wildest I'd seen at the major league level, and uh, that but but the play you're describing, where the ultimately the center fielder was the one covering second base after a rundown, and was the final out on a double play, was the wildest one I saw last year, certainly. Um, and and just so you know the the Helena Brewers if if you, and to anybody in the audience if you ever have a chance to kind of make a road trip uh Billings Helena Montana Great Falls Montana is a good place to go see some kind of some neat older parks um Billings is a new park but Helena is a neat older park and um uh, set in the mountains uh it it's just some beautiful scenery and um so uh, just a neat place to watch baseball games any other, any other questions, uh, Ross? You kind of touched on the uh, giving a relief pitcher the win thing. Um, it seems in the major league, at the major league level, that it's not really a discretion thing anymore. It's just whichever reliever happens to be on the mound when the uh, the team comes back to take the lead for good seems to just be awarded the oh. win. Um, oh, and that, and that's absolutely right. The, the situation I'm thinking of, and a, and a good example of that would be um, um, the 
uh, and I'm trying to think was it, if if this was this the situation in Game Seven of the World Series where the starting pitcher the the winning club actually holds the lead for the whole game, but it takes the lead when the starting pitcher was uh, was still on the mound, but the starting pitcher doesn't go five innings enough to qualify for the win. But that but that's absolutely Russ, and and they've got that right in the major leagues. If 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 there's kind of a switching back and forth of which team or which club is in the lead, then the the pitcher who is on the mound when the lead switches is the winning pitcher. So there's no discretion there, but so it's only the case where the one club holds the lead for the entire game. Okay, so if say Madison Bumgarner happened to have to come out, you know, in the eighth inning last year in game seven, he still would have gotten the win even if somebody else were to come in and pitch later after him. That's right, kind of right. Or, or okay. because cause it would be tough to think of a pitcher who would, could be deemed more expe- more uh, could be deemed more effective than Madison Bumgarner in that game. Yeah, definitely. That that might be one of the the most effective games I I remember seeing out of somebody who didn't come in a starter. In, in and actually, lifetime. while we're talking about that, this is kind of an official scoring nerd. Uh, quirk but i was following that game and and on on game day and listening to the the radio broadcasts immediately after that game bumgarner was actually credited with the win and not a uh five inning save and i actually was texting back and forth with a buddy of mine as to why that shouldn't be the case and um sure enough that that was corrected uh, in the morning when I woke up, he was actually credited with the save and, and not the win. But it was initially reported as, as, as Bumgarner being the winning pitcher in that game. Yeah, huh. That's funny because I remember him being the winning pitcher, but that's... that's no, it was a, a five-inning save. It was a five-inning save. But now that you say that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny that when you just think of those things like that, huh? that kind of just hit me like a, a ton of bricks. Uh, Ross, anything else before uh, I got one more question for George? Anything else? No, you go ahead. All right, George. Well, I'm going to transition off of uh, your gig, and I-, I could pick your brain, you know, all night and ask you scenarios. But uh, I know Ken, uh, our faithful leader, wanted me to ge- uh, just ask you about the Auto New League for Banished to the Pen, and maybe get a little bit of an update. You're the commissioner of the league, so uh, he said I'm supposed to ask you and get a uh, small update. Oh, sure. Well, um, I was actually, I have the standings up in front of me. So the Auto New League, it's it's kind of a cool fantasy league, and um, I'm kind of new to fantasy baseball, but the the idea behind Auto New, uh, which is hosted by Fangraphs, is to simulate as much as possible uh, what a real major league GM would, how he would manage a roster. So it's their 40-man rosters. Um, and the players are allocated at the beginning of the year via an auction. And each team has $400, a $400 yearly budget. So um, we held our auction in early March. And the whole process took about, with 12 teams and 40 roster spots, uh, it took about eight hours. <laughs> so um, That actually doesn't it, sound that bad, frankly, for 480 oh gosh, guys going or was, whatever the number is. It, yeah, we just powered through all the afternoon, uh, all afternoon. So uh, um, I'm trying. I'm looking at uh, um, the standings right now. Um, there's a and gosh, and I'm trying to think of the name of the guy. He probably will 
uh, will write in after the after the podcast goes up. But Kerouac Nation is currently leading with 958 points, and it's a it's a points based league. Good job, Kerouac. Where, Good job, Kerouac. Yeah, that's right. Jack is. Kerouac is yeah. is leading us all. Uh, second place is Matt Albers Pants, which is Nick Strangis. Um, so, he was a guest uh, on the show. Nick, good yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Nick and I have actually exchanged some emails about about the the league. So, and he he and I swung a trade early in the year. Um, um, I traded him Carlos Santana. Uh, I think that was Nick anyway. So, um, the points are based on uh, the linear weights for offense. There's no defense involved, so um, it's not just it's not a categories league. But um, uh, for so a home run is worth. Uh, X amount of points and a triple is worth X amount of points and a walk is worth three, a hit by pitch is worth three. Um, so it, it kind of simulates uh, or is designed to simulate uh, real offensive value for for each of the players. And then the pitching in in this particular league is all, uh, with the exception of saves and holds, which you get points for. It's all defensive and independent uh, statistics. So you only get points for. Uh, strikeouts, uh, you get negative points for walks and home runs, but and I suppose there are uh, some points given for each out recorded, so you get X amount of points per inning pitched for on the pitching side. So um, it, it was it was an exciting time, and it's always it's always those uh, those fantasy drafts are kind of the highlight of my year after a you know a long off season, uh, getting whatever non revelatory rumor we can. And then, and then it comes up, and it's it's an exciting, it's an exciting process to to go through a fantasy draft, especially with, with the uh, banished to the pen community. Well, you sold me. I, I'm in next year. I'm throwing my hat in the ring right now. I'm in next year. I'm taking over. And I think there's some kind of rogue rogue banished to the pen no, no, uh, auto new fantasy rogue. baseball league too, because I see people f- posting up uh, other things. But, I'm not uh, a rogue kind of guy. I want to be right in the main <laughs> league next year. I'm throwing my hat in right now. I'm um, I'm playing the uh, the host card or whatever I can play. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So not that I get that card I, or any privileges, but I'm throwing it out there anyway. So. At the beginning of the auction, uh, I threw out the birthday card because the auction was uh, on the day of after my birthday, and I said, and someone said, "Oh, great! Uh, you get uh, Mike Trout for five bucks." <laughs> I'm sure that went through <laughs> too. I'm sure that went really according to plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. I got- wish I should have held him to it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. All right, guys, uh, I got to kind of change directions here and transition a bit uh, for time and and all that. But uh, every week we tend to do uh, biggest baseball pet peeve. And uh, we've had a pretty good, a lot of great suggestions and a lot of uh, things that really nip at our craw from the guests. So uh, I guess I'll start. uh, Let me start with Ross. Let me start alphabetical, at least last name. So that'll be uh, Ross. How about your biggest uh, baseball pet peeve? All right, I think this is something actually Major League Baseball is hopefully addressing with the uh, pace of play issues, but my biggest issue is when a hitter will not even swing the bat, but then he still has to step out and readjust his batting glove and futz around with his pants legs and um, undo the uh, Velcro on his elbow and his shin guard about 20 times and then, you know, God forbid the guy actually has to swing the bat and he has to go back into the clubhouse and go grab a new pair of pants. And actually, even though he, you know he's been a very good hitter his entire career, but Ryan Braun has been one of the worst at this for his entire time. And 
it's not a time issue. It's it's definitely a pace issue, and I think this more so than anything else kind of um, contributes to that. So I'm looking forward to uh, come was it like May fifth or whenever they're going to start enforcing the uh, stay in the batter's box unless you have a good reason to get out of it rule. Part of the the pace of play um, initiatives. Yeah, that that's but, a great one. But I do want to ask you if it's if it's always nipping at your craw. Have you noticed that it's been a little better? So far, I mean, I know we're only seven games in or whatever it is, a week and a half, but have you noticed it being a little better or is it still not good? You know, honestly, the Brewers have played so many day games that I'm at work and I got to listen to the radio that I haven't really been able to tell anyway. And plus, I don't have cable and, you know, it's not like Major League Baseball wants some of their biggest fans to be able to watch their own favorite team on MLB TV um, (laughs) recently. You know, I mean, Rob Manfred says allegedly the blackouts are going to start ending at some point, which I'm definitely looking forward to. But, I, you know, I, I haven't been able to tune into enough games on TV to really be able to tell the difference. Because, you know, on, on the radio, pace of play isn't a really big issue, especially when you're listening to uh, Bob Uecker. Yeah, we've got to have you. We've got to have you back on at another time to talk blackouts, because that's another topic. I don't necessarily get it too badly here, but uh, w- we need to dive into that because it's just unacceptable, frankly. So, uh but uh, like I said, Ross, great one. George, let me throw it to you. Biggest pet uh, pet peeve in baseball. Sure, sure. Um, it, just to follow up on Ross really quickly, uh, it's nice for me being not in real geographic or being outside of the uh, blackout area for for my favorite club. So I could I can see that being really frustrating. But you mentioned the radio, and not only does Billings produce obviously baseball players but joe block actually came through here and i know he does is uh, bob euchre's partner there in the broadcast booth and he came through here a a few years ago Uh, so i I actually like listening to the brewers radio broadcast because obviously euchre's as good as they come and uh, they're they're enjoyable to listen to as a pair oh yeah i'm definitely you know we've only got a couple more years of euchre but if uh if joe block's the guy that ends up taking over for him we're definitely in good hands for quite a few years to come since he's a pretty young guy yeah yeah he is but uh, to to ryan's question uh, biggest pet peeve and I've, i was actually anticipating this question and giving it some thought um but i found myself one wishing and it, maybe this isn't so much a pet peeve about the game itself but how it's how it's presented and consumed when i watched a game on tv i I don't really want to see switching camera angles so much and a zoom in on the batter after every pitch and a pitcher rubbing up the ball after every pitch. I think I could really get more out of watching the game if they just kept it on the center field camera angle and showed the catcher going through the signs and see a kind of a fuller picture of of what the batter is doing in relation to the catcher and what the catcher is doing in relation to the pitcher. I think that would be a, a, I would get more out of watching a television broadcast if that was the case. I think that's a great answer because, and I'm sure the producer feels like he's got to be throwing it to different cameras. So he feels like he's doing his job, but I'm with you. It gets distracting at times and it would be nice just to have, whether it's the center field cam or the behind the plate cam, like one or the other, just a static, a lot quieter broadcast i'm with you i think that's a great one so uh i'm gonna chime in with one this week my pet peeve this week is fans making themselves the story of a rod turning their back when he's at bat and all this 
if you don't like A-Rod, great. You know what? But let me put it to you this way. You've got some guys on your team that have taken steroids, guys. So, you know, people in glass houses a little bit. Let, let's remember that this is – he served as punishment. He sat for a long time. He was the scapegoat of the steroid era along with Bonds. He's not going to get in the Hall of Fame. So uh, let's calm down about, you know, turning your back to him and, and, and everything else. Let's let's let him play. He's 40 years old. If he can hit, great. If he can't, let him kind of, you know, walk into the sunset kind of thing. But just uh, let, let's not make the fans the story about what's going on with A-Rod. That, that's my pet peeve this week. So, Oh, yeah, that's a good one. And I can say we've got a Rodriguez on our team that's um, – He's been uh, convicted of beating the mother of his child and then beating up her father, and he had another um, charge of battering a different girlfriend uh, dropped when the that particular person uh, just left the country altogether. So maybe Alex Rodriguez doing a couple steroids isn't actually so bad in the grand scheme of things. You know, the Nationals had Elijah Dukes. He was not a good man, at least, you know, from reports, so... Like I say, everybody, every team's got a bad guy, and if your team doesn't, then you're the exception. So uh, let's calm down about that. It's entertainment, guys. So, all right, thank you. I, I, I'm off my little uh, soapbox for the week. So, anyways, guys, uh, let's going to wrap up here for this week, but I want to give you guys a spot to, uh, once again, you know, Twitter, uh, where they can find your work, not only at Banish to the Pen, but otherwise, and just, uh, you know, where they can reach you and find your stuff. So, uh, let me start with George. I just started with Ross. So, George, uh, once again, it was great having you this week. You crushed it as a guest. Uh, just kind of where they can find your stuff. Sure. I'm at Twitter, George underscore Kimmet, uh, but I never tweet. It's more of a, a means for, for looking out. This, is, this might sound quaint and a little bit dated, but uh, my email address is just george.kimmet at gmail.com. So if you ever need to get in touch with me, that's a good place to go. And I'm also on Facebook um, George Kimmet, K-I-M-M-E-T. Well, I know the next time I have a scoring question, I know exactly who I'm tweeting or emailing. So uh, very cool to make your acquaintance, and uh, I finally know somebody from Montana, so that's awesome. Uh, Ross? Um, yeah, I, I think I forgot Twitter earlier, but it's just at Ross Buckowitz, just my name, all lowercase. Um, and, spell and I know, that George, you and spell that to mention your email. Oh, oh, yeah, I should spell that out. Uh, um, well, Ross is what you'd expect it to be, and then Buckowitz is B-U-K-O-U-R-I-C-Z. It's, uh, it's, it's a Polish name that's kind of a couple generations ago got a little Americanized, but it's, you know, it's definitely not easy. Um, yeah, email, if you need to get in touch with me, is just ross.buckowitz at gmail, so I know, George, you're kind of mentioning quaintness with your email, but I'm in the same bucket that, uh... <laughs> I've just got my name nice and basic. And then um, right now it's just banished to the pen. I'm, I'm a CPA, so, you know, I've been just a little bit busy the past few months, so I haven't really had a chance. <laughs> How on earth are you talking the night before tax day? How on earth did we get you? <laughs> See, the nice thing about being, I'm, I'm staff level, which is, you know, your first maybe five, seven years of uh, your career. If it is, if my part hasn't been done, all, you know, you know, if my part hasn't been done a week ago, it's not getting done by the 15th anyway. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. We don't really need to worry about me. It's, you know, it's the managers trying to get them finalized and our, our poor administrative person who does all of the actual filing for us that they're the ones that are in the crunch at the moment. My, my bad crunch ended about the, uh, I think last, 
probably last Thursday, maybe last Friday, was when I my I kind of slowed down a little bit. I was going to say because there were uh, all of a sudden I just had this vision of like sixty to one hundred families just really depressed because they didn't get their taxes in tomorrow because you were talking baseball. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, don't worry. I think we've only got. I mean priorities. I mean baseball does take precedent, but still. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it's not really you know, if if it hasn't been at least the basic data entry done, which is more what I do at the you know at this stage of my career. If that wasn't done a week ago. You are going to extend and uh, worry about filing over the summer anyway. Yeah, talk an extension if that's the case. So, uh, well, guys, uh, I'd like to wrap it up right here, but uh, that was a really fun hour of baseball talk. Uh, I think we covered the Brewers great. I think we got some insights into what an official scorer actually does. I think that was great. We covered a lot of ground, and uh, I think I made two new friends. So can't beat that for one hour so thank you guys uh i want to give you just a thanks for all the great work you've been doing at banish to the pen and uh thanks for joining me this week all right thanks ryan yeah thanks ryan and that was episode 16 of the banish to the pen podcast with ross buckowitz and george kimmett hope i got your names right guys Thanks to them for joining me today and for their contributions to the site so far uh, that was a really great hour of baseball talk Also, uh, as I do each week, I would like to publicly thank the writers, the editors, contributors, technical staff, everybody involved in Banish to the Pen uh, for their hard work. We're doing a lot of great stuff on this site, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the writing, or whether it's the fantasy leagues or everything else. We're doing a lot of great work at Banish to the Pen, so uh, I recommend everybody check it out each morning at BanishToThePen.com. With that, this episode is a wrap. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatchGM.com on Twitter. Reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners. Welcome to the new variety. Sit and relax. I'm that song and dance phenomenon, Max. Let me sing for you. Do my thing for you till they give me the axe. Here's the song I'm doing. Gonna fill you in on tax. Tax is that familiar melody, simple and true. I'll let if you've earned a dollar.